0: Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. For more information about Abbott Loop, visit abbottloop.org. How are you this morning, church? Awesome. Well, it is not a nice day out, but you guys look nice. It's so foggy. Yes, but God's presence is super good, and I'm thrilled to be with you this morning. It's my honor to be bringing the message as Josh is away at uh, the Gateway Conference. And so last week, Josh preached a powerful message on identity, right? How many of you were here last week? It was so good. He preached so powerfully about when we know our true identity, how we walk in power, how that when we walk in our true identity, we begin to see situations and circumstances differently. That when we walk in our true identity, we have a new perspective. And that perspective gives us authority. And when we walk in that authority, amazing things happen. And in fact, when we walk in our true identity, when we walk in that authority and with power, it brings attention to our father. I love how in the story of David and Goliath, how David killed Goliath. And at the end of the story, they were like, who's that kid's dad? They wanted to know his dad, and I think this is the same to be said about us. When we walk in our true identity, when we get outside of our comfort zone, and we like know who we are, we get out of the shell, it brings glory to God, and then people are like, who do you belong to? It brings glory to God, and in this way, we get to make his name famous. And I just love that, because I want to bring glory to God with my life, and I want to take risks for the, for the Lord. And this is one thing that was powerful to me. As we were looking at the story of David and Goliath, when David is confronted with the negativity of Saul and the negativity of his brother, and they're all trying to be like, well, who are you? Aren't you just a boy? Aren't you just a little shepherd boy? Like, you're not a warrior. This guy has been trained since his youth. Goliath has all this advantage on you. You are surely at a disadvantage. But David did not even, like, for a second, hesitate. He like knew exactly who he was. He was confident in what God had promised him and what God could promise for the nation of Israel and that he was going to walk into it. And in fact, he comes right against that, those negative words spoken over him with words of confidence and he confronts negativity. He says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. I'm the man for the job. You hear that, like the ownership in that? Let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. The Lord who rescued me from the, law, the, from, the pa, from the paw of the lion and the bear will surely rescue us from this Philistine. Then, with Goliath, Goliath is like for 40 days hurling insults and slander. He's standing there mocking the nation of Israel. And when David comes up to fight him, the same thing goes for David. He comes against him with mockery and insults and negativity. And David, he's just so powerful. He's like, he has this understanding of the New Testament truth that if if God is for us, then who can be against us? And so he comes against the negativity of Goliath. He comes against the mockery of Goliath. And he says, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head. And all those who are gathered here will know that it is not by spear or by sword that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. David comes against that negativity. He doesn't let it get in his head. He doesn't let it get under his skin. You know, it's so easy for us when the accusations of other people or the voices in our head can get us off of our, our, our mental game, you know. They get under our skin, and then we're like, wait a second. Maybe I am, like, weak and small and timid. Uh-uh. No, we have not been given a spirit of fear, but a power and strength and a sound mind. And so I love how David just stands in the confidence of this, and he is sure. So he cuts off Goliath's head, and it becomes a testimony. He stands there with the giant's head, and it becomes a testimony, not only of what God could do for Israel, but also for David personally. You see, David from that moment on goes from being just a talented musician who had invitation into the palace to being a national hero who had an invitation to make the palace his home. And now, and now David's reputation with the royal king-like family had been growing, he's a national hero. Saul's son Jonathan like falls in love with David and is just like you're my best friend. I have so much respect for you. Michael, you know, David catches her eye, and he and she falls in love with him. And so he's like knit in with the royal family. The whole nation of Israel, he he's like knows his name. He's a new hot shot in town, and they're singing his praises. Paul or Saul and. Uh, David come back for more and they're singing his praises in the street and they're saying Saul has slain his thousands but David has slain his tens of thousands. And in this moment Saul hears the contrast. He hears the comparison between himself and David. And in a second all of all of Saul's appreciation for what David had just done is manipulated. Because he heard comparison, because he heard competition, because he heard the contrast in what they were saying about David and what he was saying about him. See, comparison, the voice of comparison will always come to breed division. And from a moment, David was only the king's servant. David had done nothing to try to steal the throne, but in a second, the Bible tells us that from that moment on, Saul looked at David like a rival, and he kept a jealous eye, a jealous eye on David, comparison will breed envy and comparison will breed division and it'll cause envy to be stirred up in our hearts. We have to be careful, church, so we don't look at each other in comparison because it's going to breed division and there's no place in the house of God for comparison and division and jealousy. These are things from, from from the enemy. We can't let it get in our heart. We can't let the praises of people or any of those things throw us off our game. We have to be mentally tough because Satan loves to come and get us to focus on the things that we don't have and what other people do have, and then sometime make a judgment about us and how God sees us. Well, he clearly sees you like this, but he doesn't see me like that. I could never. Oh, not me. And the voice of victim mentality comes in, and the voice of self-pity comes in, and it all started when we began to compare ourselves with each other, and if we're not careful, we'll get to see each other as rivals, just like Saul saw David as his rival when he was just a servant. He was just a servant, but what a difference perspective makes, you know, because David didn't see it like that. His identity wasn't wrapped up in the roles that he was playing. You know, Saul, he saw his identity attached to his kingship, right, being the lord of the nation, being the best, being the most, And so when David was perceived as a threat, he heard all the inner voices in his head made it twisted, so they heard it like, David's out to get me. So he had to, to protect his throne, protect his identity. But David didn't have his identity rooted in all of his roles and titles. He could have. He was a poet. He was a musician. He was the anointed king to be. He was a national hero. He clearly could have gotten his identity twisted in these things. But he didn't. He kept himself low in humility. You see, the struggle is real, right? Am I alone in this? The struggle is real. That we can, The voices in our head, the tapes that we play, our attachments to our old nature, they'll come and fill our hearts with things that say, they'll tell us that we're not qualified, that we don't have the fruit of the spirit. You're not patient. You're not kind. I love how the enemy just comes in and he tries to take the very thing that Jesus promised us by giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. They immediately, oh, you're not self-controlled. You're not a patient person. Your personality is just not the patient type. Uh-uh. I have patience and I'm self-controlled. I'm kind. I'm filled with goodness. But we but we always, these are the first things. We lose our temper. Then we begin to think about, oh, I'm such a failure. I blew it again. And we beat ourselves up, and then shame and guilt and condemnation come, and the voices that say, see, you're not qualified. You just disqualified yourself, actually. This is the same old stuff. See, you're not the same. You're the same person you were from way back then. You're not new. You don't have the mind of Christ. They tell us that we're less than, not capable of, that we're not needed, that we're not important, that we're not seen, that we're overlooked. We always just get it wrong. And it comes in, and it gets in our head, and then it takes root in our hearts and then it works its way out in the things that we say and the things that we do, and it limits us and it anchors us from our full potential in Christ, from our power, from walking in authority. See, David didn't find his confidence in that. He took no confidence in those roles. He was always in the position of being, I'm a servant first, I'm a a son of the king. I love being in the Lord's presence. His presence defines me. When we pick up our story later on, because this whole thing was happening in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're down the road a bit, like chapter 22 or somewhere past there. And it's building. And the hostility between Saul and David is growing. And Saul is just turning into like a crazy person because fear is running his life and insecurity is taking over in his life. Anxiety, because he's so afraid he's going to lose the things that his identity, it's like his arm is going to get chopped off. He is so one with who he, his roles that he's playing. And so he's becoming like a madman. He's like mentally unstable. And, he, and so David, trying to com- comfort his king, trying to love on his king, trying to put his king at peace, is playing music for him all the same way that he always has since he was young. And then Saul, out of nowhere, is whipping spears at David and praise the Lord that David was like a hunk of a man and just could dodge them in an athletic as heck because he's throwing spears on his, at his job. This is his boss. He's just throwing spears. And maybe, maybe where you are at in your life, you have a boss that's like this who just is hurling insults at you, hucking spears at you, but they're ones with his tongue instead of physical spears. But David, the hostility between him and, and Saul is growing. So much so that Saul is becoming deceptive, trying to plot ways, like scheming, ways that he could murder David. So he's sending him out to the battlefield and trying to get him, you know, killed. He's throwing spears at him. He even tries to assassinate him in his own home. So the palace is not safe. His own home is not safe. His nation is not saved because wherever David goes, Saul finds him and tries to kill him. So he flees. And now he's a political refugee and he's living in fear for his life, being chased by a madman, and all the armies of of Israel are after him. And he's hiding. He's hiding for his life in caves. He's in the hidden place of his life. He's in a testing place in his life. The pressure is on. And all the external factors on David's life, you would have looked in and you would have think, this guy's got to be stressed, right? He's got to be stressed out. He just lost all of the, the things that he thought were most dear to him, maybe. You know, he was in the palace. He had his foot in the door. He had just become the na- a national hero. He was the general over the king's army. He was a musician to the king. His, his friends and loved ones, and, and he had lost them. And you would think, gosh, this guy has got to be stressed out. I know that if I was thinking, I would be wondering, questioning, doubting, God, didn't you say? Didn't you tell me? Didn't you pick me? I didn't ask for this job. You told me. I was just minding my own business being a shepherd boy, and you plucked me out, and you called me, and you said I was going to be the king. What are you doing? I don't understand. I'd be spiraling. But let me tell you, stress is an inside job. Stress is an inside job. It's not actually caused by the external factors in your life. Those external factors come onto your life to prove and to reveal what's actually going on internally. It's caused, It's you're being squeezed, you're being squeezed, what's going to come out? When you're hidden, when the things that are important to you are threatened, when your identity, the things that you take pride in are being taken from you and you're squeezed and you're hidden and you're not seen, what comes out? Come on, when we squeeze fruit, we get a certain type of juice based on what kind of fruit we're squeezing so if I squeeze an orange I'm going to get orange juice and if I squeeze apples I'm going to get apple juice whatever but when we're squeezed we should make the fruit of the Holy Spirit when I'm squeezed when I'm in the hidden places I should be producing peace And patience and kindness and faithfulness and love. It should be coming out of my life. But so often, my old nature will reveal itself and I'll learn in that hidden place hey, I'm not ready. This is too much for me. And look who's showing up. It's not the praises of my king, it's my old nature. Because we have an attachment to our old nature. We have patterns in the way that we think. We need to renew our mind. We need to retrain our mind. Otherwise, we will just keep going back to the same old way of thinking that we've always thought. And those voices in our head, those tapes that we play, it's like automatic. We just turn them back on. This is too hard for me, I can't do it. This is so stressful. Oh, we just immediately start to panic. Fear, anxiety, unbelief, pessimism. start to show up. We have attachments to our old nature. And the hidden season is actually, the testing season is actually God's kindness. It's his loving kindness as he puts pressure, just enough pressure, to show us where our attachments are to our old nature. So that when we're squeezed, what comes out? And his goal is because he's so patient with us. He's so kind to us. He has all the time in the world to wait for us, you know? So he lets us go through the squeezing. He lets us go through hidden seasons of life. So that when the pressure is on in our life, when we can show up and the the weight of the world gets heavy to us, we we can stand to bear it. So when we're squeezed, we can produce good things. It's for our training. It's for our training that we go into these hidden places, that we go through testing seasons of our life. It's actually purposeful so that we can cut off those attachments to our old nature and we can stand in confidence that I have a new nature, that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus and I can become so familiar with the way that God talks about me, that you can become so familiar with the way that God talks about you, that you're so familiar with the thoughts that he thinks towards you, that when you hear the voice of the enemy, you're like, hey, I know that voice. That doesn't sound like my king. Because our voices are either a fortress for the enemy or a temple for the king a fortress is meant to keep something out right it's like i'm guarding i'm taking stand and this is what saul was doing he was building a fortress don't touch my stuff don't touch my kingdom don't touch my identity back up or i will literally kill you you know but not david david was building a temple david's entire life was a temple for the lord He was meditating day and night on what God, what pleased God. He was worshiping in his feet, cultivating his presence, cultivating kingdom thinking, kingdom mindedness, kingdom perspective. He was building a temple. His life was a temple for the most high God where his praises could dwell within. And this is what we're either building. We're either building a fortress for the enemy to come and isolate us from important connections and intimacy with our father and relationships that we need to have so that we can grow just trying to keep everybody out. You don't need them. They're actually out to get you. They don't have your best interest in mind. Or you're cultivating a temple, a temple for his praise, a temple for kingdom thinking, for right standing with him. Because he's going to come and he's going to try to wreak havoc by the thoughts that we think. It's so important, the thoughts that we think, church. They will. It will rule our lives And then based on the sums of our highs and our lows, we're going to determine who we are and what we think about our husbands and what we think about our children. And when I'm having a rough day, I'm going to say the things that I'm thinking out loud. You know? This is what happens to us. Can I be real with you this morning? My thought life has been a battlefield for me. This is is me, and I'm saying before you this morning, church, this is me standing up with Goliath's head because this is a personal thing that I have lived through. My thought life has been a battle for me. You know, I'm a naturally competitive person. I love to compete. And I was an athlete all the way through high school. I loved playing sports. I loved being a part of a team, but I loved winning. My team didn't win very much. I played basketball, I ran cross country, I competed at state all four years of high school. I maintained a really high GPA. And I did all of this because the voice in my head of perfectionism said, you can't rest until you're the best. We had a sign in our home. It was no intention of my parents for it to be twisted like this at all. It was said, good, better, best. Never let it rest. Till your good is better and your are better is best. And in my immature nature as a young woman, not knowing who I was, where my confidence came from, who I was supposed to be, I read that sign and I took it to heart and I said, I can't, I, it's not good enough for me to just be me. It's not good enough for me to just do okay or my best. I need to be better than everyone. I need to be the best at everything, or I'm not significant enough. I won't matter enough, I won't get the attention that I need or that I want, or that I won't be found lovely, desirable, wanted, important, significant, fill in the blank. You can't just be good. You can't just do your best. Don't rest until you're the best. And the enemy would manipulate this saying in my life for so many years it would cause me to turn in on myself and against others. It was like competition on a regular basis. And it was miserable, and it, become, it became torturous. You see, when we, we judge when we feel judged. And we shame when we feel shame about ourselves. And we hate when we don't like who we are. When we can't find anything likable about who we are. And I know I'm not alone. Because if you're anything like me, then you've allowed the talents and the abilities and the creativity of somebody else and their successes to take away and diminish your own. But we weren't meant to be copies or cookie cutter people, church. We were meant to be a collection of masterpieces, a collection, an art collection, actually, of originals, of originals. You're not a copy. And I was surrendering and sacrificing and forfeiting to be a copy, just trying to perform, trying to be perfect. And the enemy, he just had his way in the, my thought life for so long. Because it's hard to escape the messages that tell you that you're not enough. Because you're going to interpret all the actions and all the words of people the way that your inner tapes play. So what do the voices in your head say? See, we have a perspective problem. We have a belief problem, church. We don't know who we are. So how did David make it through this season? So David is in, under the weight He's in the hidden place. He's being tested. So how did he make it through? We get a personal glimpse. I love how the Bible wrote down all of David's. It's like reading his diary. We're so lucky. I love David too because he's so human. We get to see his humanity all over the Bible. I picked one that makes him look really good because there are some that he's like crying a lot. But in this one... He says, have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wing until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking all of those who hotly pursue me. He sends forth his love and his faithfulness, for I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell amongst ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. They spread a net for my feet when I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and I will make music. Wake up, my soul. Wake up, harp and lyre. I will awaken at the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, amongst the nation. I will sing of you amongst the people. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, in the heavens and let your glory be known all over the earth. Here in the cave, here in the hidden season, here when David is being squeezed, what comes out of him? What he had been practicing? What he had been practicing since the moment he was a child when he was in the field with the, with the sheep, praise. Praise, because David had taken the time. He had been trained in the secret places with God. He had been trained in the hidden places with God to what his mind thinks on, his heart goes to. And so David had trained himself to praise when, when the pressure was on, to worship the Lord, to meditate on his goodness, his faithfulness, his loving kindness, his power, God's capability, and who God said that David was. David focuses on God's character and what God could do through him and inside of him, what God was capable of, what God could only do. But what we focus on grows, right? What we focus on expands. What we focus on, we give life to. So we gotta focus on God's nature. We don't focus on the negatives and give life to those. What we'll we focus on, we want it to grow. So we focus on God's nature. We focus on the word of God. We focus on the things that God says to be true about us. You see, God, David and God had this relationship where they'd been growing in trust from a long, for a long time. Because we have to make it through some difficult stuff and then our relationship with God will become confident, right? We got to go through some things and then we'll know that God's not a liar because He shows himself faithful to us. see the world doesn't determine a thing about us and the enemy doesn't want us to realize that we don't belong to this world we actually only have an audience of one it's an audience of one church one opinion one person's thoughts one person's approval the lord's one and in my story in a really difficult season of my life When I had taken my eyes off, I want to read this poem to you because it so perfectly encapsulates what I was going through. It says this, the stick I made for measuring, I used most every day. It helped me to compare myself with others on my way. I watched all those behind me and others further down the road, and I would readjust my pace or lighten up my load. The only real drawback with how I ran my race was I was watching everything else around me except my Savior's face and I love the words that this says and I love the picture of David because the only thing that David's eyes were on was an audience of one the approval of one he wasn't concerned about Saul he wasn't even concerned about Michael or Jonathan he only person he looks to is his king and in my life the Lord gave me a picture And I had this measuring stick, and it was so tall. And I stood next to it, and I was so little and so insignificant. Maybe you feel like this sometimes in your life, that the weight of the world, the things you're meant to do, they seem so huge, and you'll never measure up. You're not even going to make a dent. And the voices that play in your head, they just support the picture of how tall that stick is. And then I saw the hand of God, and it was like, one awesome powerful moment of just him snapping that stick in two and it was like he karate chopped the stick and snapped it in two and it burst into smithereens like all in one moment and I heard him say to me I am your judge and I say that you're approved and I'm here this morning church to hold up the head of the enemy and say the same about you you only have one judge one person's opinion one approval and that's your father god So we practice right thinking by getting in the word of God, by becoming so familiar with the word of God that we meditate on it daily. The Bible tells us, do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Philippians 4, 6 through 8 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer and repetition, (laughs) with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. You see, we get rid of all those negatives by not focusing on them or trying to self-manage them. We focus them by making ourselves a temple for the living God. We remind ourselves that we were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We get into the Word. We meditate on it daily. We remember the words that He spoke to us. Do you know that the Bible is full of verses that are just about you? They're inheritance scriptures. There are things that you can pull out of the word that are meant for you. Can I share one of mine with you this morning? There's a verse that has always been spoken over my life, whether I was, you know, 14 or where I am now, 32. But people constantly prophesy this verse over me. They say, 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let others look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in the way that you live, in the way that you love, in the way that you conduct yourself in your faith, in your purity. There are inheritance scriptures for you, church. Things about who you are that you can literally pull out of the Bible that will have the same spirit is true about you as it was in that person in the Bible. We have to search the word, know it well, know what God says about us, and take him at his word. Take him at his word. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy and align yourself with the truth of God. So that the thoughts that run through your head are the same thoughts that the Lord thinks about you. And he only has good thoughts towards you. So if you're thinking something negatively about yourself, then it's not the thoughts of the Lord. And you can say, hey, enemy, you can shut up and go back to where you came from. Because I'm not going to listen to you. You can say, hey, comparison, I've heard your voice before. Get behind me, Satan. Oh, you're here again, competition. See you later. I'm not, just going to laugh in your face because guess what? These people, they're not my competition. And you've already lost the war. So be gone. Hey. And then his voice just doesn't sound that scary anymore. Right. It doesn't bug us as it used to anymore because we're not allowing uh, him to define who we are. We're becoming so familiar with the voice of our king so intimately connected with the Holy Spirit from time in his word, from meditating, from believing it and taking him at his word. That we're not so quick to surrender and yield to his mockery, to his accusation. We're actually just shutting it down. I'm not going to entertain those thoughts. It's actually a standard in my life. I will not listen to those thoughts. I'm actually going to tell somebody else who can speak the word to me. If I cannot fight it off myself, then I'm going to say, okay, I'm really struggling right now. I'm going to self-disclose. And let somebody else tell me the word of God. Let somebody else tell me the truth about who I am. We got to keep our perspective straight because when we know who we are, we will walk differently. And when we walk differently, we'll walk with power. And when we walk with power, we're going to bring glory to God. And that is our whole life purpose is that we will make him famous, that we will make him known amongst the whole world, right? What you focus on, you give life to. Remember, you have the gift of prophecy also. It's like pulling a, a page out of the book of heaven about who you are. You know, you're already known in heaven. The Bible tells us that there's a book that was written before you were even bo- born about all the days of your life They you are penned out by God. And the gift of prophecy comes to encourage you and to build you up and to inspire you to be all that you are in Christ Jesus, to bring you hope and new life and to say, hey, this is how I see you. It's like we get to pull a book off the shelf of heaven and we get to read it is my name is on that book your name is on that book these celebrities and rulers aren't the only ones with their life stories contained you will have a book about you written in heaven and it's like when you get a word of prophecy cherish that word don't don't dismiss that word Hold on to that word. Take it to heart. Judge it and take it to heart and say, God, I believe that you are making me into this. I know that you can see my end from my beginning, that you know where I'm going, you know where I've been, and you know how I'm going to get there. And then believe it. Walk in it. Take him at his word. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you in that place. Believe him. Believe him. You see, the Holy Spirit is our encourager. He's our advocate. He's our helper. And I love the Holy Spirit because he, he he is so feisty on our behalf. He wants to defend us just as like Jesus and our Father wants to defend us. So does the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like fire, though. He's like, we're not going to wage war the same way that the world wages war, though. This is what 2 Corinthians says. It says, "For the, though that we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons that the world has. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Every thought that runs through our head and the Holy Spirit is there to help us judge. And take down and pull down those strongholds. Take down and pull down those fortresses that we're building by the thought patterns in our life so that we can retrain ourselves, and he's there to help us think accurately, to remind us of who we are, that you're filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You see, because the enemy is coming to rob the Holy Spirit of the gift that he's given you. He's directly trying to, like, assault the gift of the Holy Spirit, love that you're not loving, that you don't have joy, and the Holy Spirit is, hey, that's my gift that I've given them, that I want to see come out in their lives, So the Holy Spirit is there to restore our confidence in who Christ is for us and who we are in him. In the end of that picture that I saw when when that whole measuring stick was just smashed into pieces and I heard the voice of the Lord just telling me that I was approved, that I was loved, that I was important to him, that he could see me and that I could rest you feel that, church, like peace, being able to rest in who you are, not strive, not compete, not be jealous or anxious, but be okay because you're designed to just stand out. You're designed to be set apart and that's okay. That was so huge to me and I believe the Lord has words like this for you and I believe that you're going to experience them even this morning. You know, maybe you, you're like, You're in this place and you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life. And you're like, none of this even makes sense to me. I want to give you an opportunity to know the Lord who knows you from beginning, middle, and end. The one who will come to your rescue when you have judged yourself wrongly. The one who will come and be your defender when you have have accusations up and down who tells you you're no different from your past. He'll make you new. So, if you're here this morning and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you're ready to make that decision today, I want to pray with you. And if you can just simply raise your hand so that I know who I'm praying with, I would be more than happy to pray with you this morning because the Lord has a promise for you that you are not your old self, that He sees the good in you. Is there anybody here this morning who has not made Jesus their Lord and Savior with every eye closed? In this place, I see your hand in the back. I see your hand, thanks. Let's just pray together, church, everybody here. Jesus died for you and he paid a price for you, so just pray this with me. Lord Jesus, you are the author and the finisher of my faith. I believe in you. I believe in the price that you paid for me. I believe that you died and set me free, that you have a new life for me. Come and make me a temple for your presence that I can make my home with you, Jesus. It's awesome, it's a brand new day. If this was your first time accepting Jesus, we just are so excited for you. Your life will never be the same. Church, will you stand with me? I'm gonna just begin to declare some of the things that the Lord sees over you this morning. And I want you to know at any moment, you do not have to wait for me to be done making these declarations. You can move forward at any time and respond in prayer. There are people available for you to pray with. But we have a new identity in Christ. The old nature is dead. We are new. You are an original, a work of art, a masterpiece. You have never been hidden to God. He has always seen you. You're not forgotten. You are an image bearer. You are not You are without rival, you are beyond compare. You were made on purpose and for a purpose, church. You are a child of God, you have what it takes, you are more than enough. You are enough for him, he approves of you. You are good, you are valued, you are of great worth. God thinks that you're interesting, thinks that you're beautiful, finds you fascinating. His thoughts towards you are as many as sands on the seashore captivate him. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are capable in Christ. You are more than an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. You are the light and the salt of the earth. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are his bride. You are so incredibly loved. Jesus Thank you for your word over your people this morning. We thank you, Jesus, that you see us, that you love us, that you know us, that you're passionate for us, that you're relentless towards us, that your love for us is uncontainable, that it doesn't have any limits, that we can't oversell your love, we can't oversell how you think about us, that you take pride in us, God. going on for the strength of your mind church and it is time to expose the lies and the distractions it's time to receive a revelation of God's love that's going to come and he's going to break those limitations that you put on yourself this morning limitations that have held you back that have anchored you down and church I believe that we're in a season of being hidden a season of being squeezed and we're under construction but not in the external sense church in the internal sense, guys, God is renovating our thinking. He's renewing our minds. He's renovating our thinking as a part of the inward construction, and he's restoring the way that we think about who we are, because we're not going to become the unstoppable, powerful force of God's love, a beacon of hope if we can't even get our thoughts about who we are right. So he wants you to know who you are if you want to receive a blessing this morning, just simply raise, put your hands up. I'm going to pray over you, church, and then we're going to respond in worship this morning. Jesus, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your people. I pray right now in Jesus' name that no matter what lies that we've been listening to, no matter what things we've done or our past, God, I pray for a breakthrough in Jesus' name, that your thoughts and your opinions would begin to your people that your love would rush over your people your children God in a new way that your voice would be heard above the lies and those those standards of the world would come crashing down Jesus those measuring sticks that we've used to judge ourselves and to limit ourselves we've broken in Jesus's name and that new life a new standard of thinking would be ours for the taking in Jesus's name I pray that you would release hope in Jesus's name I pray that you would release new life in Jesus's name and everything that has been stolen everything that has been taken in our identity and who we are would be healed in Jesus' name. Respond in worship to the Lord, church.